Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. doesn't like to stop by a vendor on a packed city street and buy something that only a food truck would be able to produce. It's like going to a baseball game and buying a hot dog. You have to. Go into any major city from LA to New York to Philadelphia. Each city has its own specific kind of food with its own style of food vendor. So let's say you're walking the streets of Philly and you see a candy vendor selling a candy you've never heard of with a flavor you've never tasted and a style and shape you've never seen. Wouldn't your curiosity get the best of you? Wouldn't you at least want to stop and ask some questions? And if you're anything like me, would you be able to resist once your sweet tooth has been activated? Not a chance. Well, this is what happened to a man by the name of Philip Wanderlei in the 1880s. Philip was walking the streets of Philadelphia, saw a man selling candy from a cart on a street corner. It must be something with the name because this Philip had a sweet tooth as well. A major one, actually, because he wasn't just your typical customer. He was an owner of the Wonderlay Candy Company. He was so intrigued by the curious candy, he stopped to sample and afterwards was interested in buying. But not just buying a bag, he wanted to buy the concept altogether. And that's when Philip Wonderlay introduced himself to the vendor, George Renninger, a young candy maker in Philadelphia. Wonderlay offered George Renninger a job and they hit it off. Renniger spent the remainder of his career creating new candy products. One of those new products has now become an autumn staple, and it was Renniger's ideas that brought this one to fruition. The process, well, that was less than exciting. He took your typical ingredients like sugar, water, and corn syrup, eventually added some additional ingredients to the original recipe like fondant to improve its texture, marshmallow for flavor. He then heated the mixture in a large kettle stirred the right consistency until the result was a very thick, almost lava-like substance, which he called slurry. The mixture was poured into buckets called runners, and workers, called stringers, would walk backwards while they poured the mixture into large mold trays. And oddly, it was made backwards on purpose, pouring the top end first, then the middle, then the bottom, to give it a distinct shape and color. He then took some mold trays, poured the warm 45-pound slurry into the tip of the mold, waited until that was cooled and hardened, then poured the second layer, waited some more, and then finally the third. Once everything was cooled and hardened, a nice polish was the final step that would make the candy look more appetizing. Have you figured out what this candy was yet? Well, this might help. These molds were inverted triangles, and the three layers were white, orange and yellow you guessed it george renninger while working with the wonderlay candy company is thought to have been the first person to create candy corn i don't think there's another candy out there that has been more polarizing in opinion about the flavor in fact when it was first produced it wasn't called candy corn at all it was called chicken feed which i'm positive some of our anti-candy corn listeners would agree with In fact, National Geographic once called the iconic treats the Halloween equivalent of fruitcake. Quote, 
a holiday food that everybody has, but nobody actually eats. And a recent viral video even explained the directions of how to eat candy corn by saying, open the bag and dump the contents directly into the trash. Some people buy it as soon as September 1st hits, whereas others refuse to call it candy corn altogether and even emote a physical reaction to their disdain towards their candy. One of whom is, names to go unmentioned, a uh, co-host of this podcast. Either way, the debate itself is far less exhausting than the process of making it was. Before modern automation, the kettles had to be carried by workers who had to carefully pour the mixture into the molds one at a time. This called for considerable caution and concentration. Because it was such a headache to make, the candy company took candy corn out of production for about four months every year. The process began in March. It went through until about November, which was perfect for the season. Lots of candy corn for Halloween and plenty for Thanksgiving as well. But it never really originally had an association with Halloween or fall. It was a seasonal candy because of the tedious nature of the work. Regardless of modern opinion, popularity then skyrocketed and the Wonderlay Candy Company was bought out by A&G Golitz Confection Company right when the economy of the 1890s began to improve and eventually we would know that confection company not as A&G Golitz but Jelly Belly. And by the 1940s and 50s, chicken feed was no longer its name. But what would seem at least a little more appealing to some as the name gradually became the emotion-enticing fall staple called candy corn. This has been a Missing Chapter Short, your quick fix for one of history's forgotten stories in a busy world. Listen to more shorts as well as full-length episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast providers.